Hey, welcome to episode 26 of the Cafe Genius Impresarios audio program. Another solo episode today. It's so tricky to find entrepreneurs in the greater Vegas area, I suppose. Today's Friday, August 25th, 25th of August. Time is flying. The summer is, uh, doesn't feel like it's almost over, but I guess it almost is. Temperatures are almost back to normal, sort of. And today we are, well, flooding aside also. Sorry for Mount Charleston folks. Boil your water. But today we are talking about silicon. Not silicone, by the way. That's a different thing. Silicon, the chemical symbol SI, if you saw the title. SI, silicon. And Utah versus Arizona versus Nevada. Let's get it on. So Las Vegas will not be the next Silicon Valley. Sorry to break it to you. Uh, We don't make silicon chips here, Uh, nor should we. There's a lot of water involved in chip fabrication or silicon wafer fabrication. The whole process, a lot of water. We don't have it. Building fabs is something that we can leave to Utah and Arizona because they both already have uh, a a history and uh, infrastructure and physical facilities for fabricating chips. Uh, And I will be honest, I did not know that about Utah, I was not aware. There is a Texas Instruments chip fab in Lehigh, 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 my apologies, uh, which is south of Salt Lake City. And of course, Arizona, we'll get to this in a moment, but uh, Arizona has a central, Phoenix, Phoenix area, has a history of semiconductor as part of its semiconductor manufacturing, as part of its uh, economic history. So we'll touch on that in a moment. Uh, This is a seed episode. I would like to actually talk about this a lot more with people from Utah and Arizona. Um, See see where things are in each of those places from a first-person perspective. It is super easy to take a look at an article or two, which I have done here, and come away with an impression that is not the final. So everything I talk about today, solo episode, of course, is Pondering, thinking out loud, uh, I would very much like into the future to have discussions with people familiar on the ground, so to speak, with the economic conditions, the ecosystem, the communities, plural, uh, the good, the bad, what, what is there, what is missing in various parts of Utah and Arizona. And we can touch on that here more in greater detail as we are supposed to be doing in Nevada. Southern Nevada or Nevada on the whole. As I live in Southern Nevada, I kind of tend to focus more here. I've lived here for 10 years. It was 10 years, August 1st, 2023. So 10 years here, uh, I lived in Silicon Valley for 15, about 15 years. I lived in Silicon Valley technically, I think for 13 years, plus working for Intel and generally interacting with Silicon Valley. So I, I will call it 15 years, a round number. I grew up in Phoenix, so from uh, from age six to eighteen, went off to college in Southern Nevada. I'm sorry, Southern California, and then I lived in Phoenix again when the dot com uh, boom became the dot com bomb, however you want to say it. So in 2001, I moved back to Phoenix where my um, my parents and you know, my, some family were there. So I moved back to Phoenix and enjoyed some time away from a, a, a prosperous career after I'm not laughing at the, the events of, but certainly the events of 9-11-2001 did not help 
the notion of remote work, remote consulting, and so on. So I lived in four, uh, Phoenix for another four years. That particular four-year window is what I will be addressing more today. And then Utah, I don't have any real experience with Utah. I've never lived there. I've, I'm not a, I don't recall even visiting Utah, so I may be completely out in the weeds when it comes to any familiarity. So that's why I would love to talk to somebody much more familiar, see where things are. Like what, what is it like building startups and, and operating businesses? And I always, as I make my way through the world, I always think startups could be anything. The, the world probably agrees. But when you talk to people that are involved with economic development or when they are thinking about, you know, local motivation, access to resources, talking to the press, there will always be discussions of things like unicorns and tech startups and building apps because the world believes that that is the most important thing in it. I do not agree. And I say this as a software engineer. So I'm, I am on team software professionally, personally, historically, academically. But in reality, uh, the world is not just building apps. There's more to it than that. And if you happen to be listening to this right now, you are listening on hardware, right? Somebody built those uh, earbuds, those headphones, the speakers. Somebody built the internet. Somebody built the computer or the chips that are used to play your device. to play the audio on your device. So apps are great. They are, I used to work at Philips uh, in the software software and electronics business unit of the flat display systems group. So the, the FDS part of Philips components was building hardware, you know, actual glass displays, LCDs at the time. Now they're probably doing IPS. Um, I mean, LCDs as in uh, super twist, you know, classic LCD with the polarizers and all that. Now IPS and um, uh, what do you call it? OLED, things like this. So yeah, technology's come a long way. These are hardware devices. So not everything is sitting in a coffee shop, which could also be a startup, by the way. Uh, sitting in a startup, writing your uh, TypeScript application or arguing about React versus Angular or something, right? Sometimes people actually build things or they create businesses that have nothing to do with... Um, technology, the latest web trends, AI, maybe it's just coffee or a good food or a nice place to get your haircut. Who knows? could be anything. So, but that said, clearly today we're focusing on silicon, which means we'll be focusing exclusively on hardware. <clears throat> no, that's not true. So, uh, but let's begin. Silicon Valley uh, got its name from actually building silicon. Back in, I think it was 47 or so, Professor Ternan, uh, I think I got that right. I've been making a proactive effort to just memorize that, so I'm not even going to look. I think it was Professor Ternan, uh, infamous radar scientist, part of the war effort, got a lot of street cred. Radar was a good thing for the uh, Allied forces in the war, so when he moved from, uh, I think he was at MIT or the East Coast in general, he might not have been, he might have been at like NYU or something, I can't remember, but uh, I think I got his name right. That's a start. So he moved out West, joined Stanford and said, hey, we should get more government money out here. We should get more technology development out here. He suggested to young uh, Hewlett and Packard that they pursue their dreams of starting a company in a shed. Do it. Just do it. 
uh, he encouraged uh, Shockley to move from, uh, I think Shockley was in Cambridge, got his, uh, got his Nobel Peace Prize, I'm sorry, Nobel <laughs> Peace, Nobel Prize for Physics uh, with his uh, work on semiconductors. So the professor said, hey, your mom lives out here on the West Coast. Why don't you move here and start your business? So he started Shockley Semiconductors in, uh, I believe it was Mountain View or Palo Alto. I think it was Mountain View. Shockley Semiconductors led to the uh, formation of a staff of very talented people who did not like Shockley. And so they left. They went to Fairchild Semiconductor. If you ever read about the Traitorous Eight, they included people like Robert Noyce and Gordon Moore and Andy Grove and five other people. <laughs> and they would go on to form Intel and other companies, Intel Corporation. They're, they're a little company out west that does a thing or two with semiconductors. They actually started on memory. They launched the 4004 4-bit CPU in 1971 from Santa Clara, California. Uh, fun fact, I did work for Intel. I, as a contractor in, in Chandler, Arizona, which I'll get to, and as a regular employee, and uh, I initially did not have a cube. There's still a cubicle culture. I did not have a cube because I was completely remote. I was the only Intel employee in Nevada. But when I did go visit uh, in the early days of my employment with them in uh, 2014, uh, my my entire group in Santa Clara was based in SG2, maybe SG1, uh, sorry, SC1, <laughs> SG, Santa Clara 1, uh, I think it was SC1, it was SD1, SC1 and SC2, SC2 uh, were joined, I can't remember which side we were on, but anyway, so we were based in the original Intel building, and a very tiny little nondescript building off of Central Expressway. So yeah, good times. And so that's where Silicon Valley started. It actually was started on silicon and companies building silicon products and fabs and technologies. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but fabs are what make silicon. And if you have no fabs, you are not making silicon. And while it is trendy and cool to refer to things as the Silicon Gulch and Silicon Alley and Silicon this or that, Silicon Oasis, no, get out of here. So I do take some issue with Silicon Slopes when we get to that, although there is a Texas Instruments chip fab, as I mentioned, so could go either way. Uh, anyway, do they, uh, when, they be, when they think of tech, they pretty much are thinking of apps, and that was the take-home from Philips. So while our company, the part of our company that I worked for, Philips was huge at the time. I think they were 160000 worldwide back then. They were making tons of hardware, but the perception of the value of software is much higher than the hardware. You will often see this today with cell phones. The, uh, call it the ID, the industrial design of the cell phone gets some attention initially when they launch a new device, whether it's uh, Apple, whether it's Google with their new Pixel devices, new, <laughs> but their Pixel devices, um, Samsung, Motorola, etc. So launching a new device, there's a lot of attention paid to the look, the, the external features, the hardware itself, performance, of course. But very quickly, it becomes a matter of software, apps, applications. How well does it work? How fast does the code, uh, does the code run? Bug-free, hopefully, rarely. So the focus on software, the part that you see, it's very similar to a restaurant, right? The kitchen is super important. The chef, the, the crew, the food. Uh, what they're making in the back of the house is uh, critical. 
but the part that the customer sees is in the front of the house, the uh, the maitre d', the uh, the the staff, the the chairs and tables, the the ambiance. So the things that matter most are a combination of all these things, but the things that people see, experience, and judge are often only the part, the the part of the iceberg above the waterline, right? So the the focus then is on apps, startups, apps, unicorns, all that. Does that make Silicon Valley? Not really. Uh, That became a thing in the early 90s, which is, as it happens, when I moved to Silicon Valley. Although I will say I only once, only when I worked at salon.com did I work at a, I guess you could call that a dot-com, but it was the only time I worked at a place that was not building hardware other than Netscape. But it was the, uh, so not building hardware and or building uh, systems or platforms rather than like a, like Netscape was not a dot com, even though it was selling server products and whatnot, it was building platforms. Uh, Salon.com was using platforms, publishing news. So, you know, pets.com was not developing platforms, it was selling pet products and creating ridiculously expensive Super Bowl commercials. So the history of Silicon Valley is started with actual silicon, actual development of core technologies, brilliant invention, and today it is uh, it is a template for better or worse that people they must include the word silicon. So like I said, I was in Silicon Valley for about fifteen. I grew up in Phoenix. I did work at the Intel Chandler facility. I was doing pre-Silicon validation for when well, Intel is still an ARM licensee. The uh, before, um, what was his name? Oh, Odalani. Before Odalani declared that there is no need for anything but x86. And so essentially uh, sold off most of the Intel efforts for ARM to um, Marvell in Silicon Valley. But when I was uh, contracting for Intel in, um, I want to say 2003, we were doing pre-Silicon validation in Chandler. They were building, I think it was Fab 22 at the time. Phoenix had a history of uh, semiconductors, like I said. So my experience and access to that part of history is based on my presence and interaction and engagement and employment. And like I said, I've never been to Utah. So I'm only looking in from outside. But apparently Utah is killing it. I wanted to talk about this and I want to start talking about this because I just saw an article. It was published on a website for News KLS ks.com i have a link to the article i found ksl sorry ksl.com uh happened upon this article it said uh your app idea is more valuable in utah and uh hmm what does that mean so i flipped through it it is a sponsored article uh native con what is it native content right native ads i'm sorry native ad essentially for let me zip over to the article ksl.com it was uh, sponsored by utah tech labs so motivated reasoning, almost certainly, but it does cover some things that we here in Las Vegas could emphasize a bit more. Rather than just assuming that they already exist, we can actually focus on them. So uh, I'll just read the section heads. I have a link to the article in the show notes, and hopefully when I have someone from Utah on this podcast, we can talk about it more. So they have listed uh, there are five reasons why Utah has become a hotspot for app development. App development is not the entire world. It's certainly interesting. It's the part people see, like I said, but don't forget that back of the house, right? App development and why that means your app idea is more valuable in the beehive state. I'll get to this too at the end. 
do you have to be in Utah? Hmm. Strong venture funding. So here in Vegas, they call it access to capital. So there's there, and this is true. I know anecdotally, um, there's just a strong presence of uh, venture funding that possibly is based on a long history. Uh, I read somewhere it's from the 60s that Utah started getting into tech in general, support from academia. That's a trend, by the way. Academia is a critical component of the establishment of an entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem. It's one of the four pillars, in my opinion, uh, education and development of a talent pool, and I will add to that a culture of innovation, uh, support from government with regard to infrastructure, regulations, and so on. Access to capital is important, the ability to act on ideas with the necessary funding, and of course, the communities, plural, that develop within the ecosystem to connect all of these things. Uh, if you have plenty of money and a talent pool and uh, positive regulation to enable, and then nobody's talking to each other, <laughs> that makes it a little bit tricky. So those are my, my four things. All these things we hopefully will continue to talk about with different people from different places. Once again, this is a seed for more discussion. So strong venture funding. Number two, economic stability. That I honestly don't know how the pandemic affected uh, the economy of Utah. In Vegas, it was very clearly detrimental as far as tourism and whatnot. Um, did snap back reasonably quickly. But economic stability creates unicorns. The programs in Nevada are looking at, uh, they're in fact, our current governor, uh, Joe Lombardo, ran on a platform uh, that Nevada would be the, the number one or best or most amazing uh, entrepreneurial state. So we'll see about that. But economic stability creates unicorns, maybe. Flourishing startup ecosystem. The, uh, that I would argue, uh, I would personally, I would argue that the value of the ecosystem for not only uh, the people in the ecosystem pursuing their entrepreneurial startup endeavors, and again, it doesn't have to be apps, but if you are in a energized, resource-rich ecosystem, right? Not only access to talent, not only access to capital, but people moving, right? Movement is life if you're an up-in-the-air fan. If people not only are pursuing their individual startups, but they're collaborating, they're meeting, they are participating in trade shows and conventions, they are in the press, right? People are talking about, they're finding out about, they're hearing about, uh, people are spending money, right? You can have a adjacent startup, coffee shop, computer store, uh, HR business, attorneys, accountants, right? All the support infrastructure. Uh, not that I'm ranking these, but you can have uh, an ecosystem of engagement and success that feeds upon itself, right? So if you have a flourishing startup, startup ecosystem, that enables uh, all of the components, the sort of the rising tide lifts all boats theory, right? If you, I'm not saying that Michael Moore is uh, great at this, but if you do one of my early, I think I was in high school, early exposure to uh, economic documentary was, uh, um, what was it, Mr. Me and Mr. Smith? Mr. Smith uh, goes to Detroit. No, it was Michael Moore's documentary about Flint, Michigan. What was the title? It was something about Mr. Smith, but he was trying to find the, the guy at GM and he was touring the town and whatnot. One of the things that became very apparent is when in a company town like that, when the uh, General Motors presence 
uh, entered decline and they started fading away as far as an economic engine, all of the businesses around GM, right? So if you had a person in your family that worked for GM, if you had business near GM that you benefited from having employees, right? So you were a coffee shop or a diner or a clothing store or retail in general, uh, services businesses operating um, uh, maintenance for, for vehicles, right? People got to get uh, gasoline in their cars. They got to have their car fixed every once in a while. So all the support infrastructure in the ecosystem uh, you know, basically depends on that. Las Vegas has something similar with the similar, not the same, similar with the focus on the, the tourism dollar, right? So when during the pandemic, the strip was empty, some, some rather infamous video footage of that. Hopefully that'll appear in a, in a movie, 28 days in Vegas or something, who knows? But when you remove that fulcrum on which everything is balanced, it becomes a little bit tricky. So there's a focus here on economic diversity. We have a, a ways to go. I've lived here for 10 years, like I said. I think we're about halfway to becoming interesting. So do we have a flourishing startup ecosystem? Not sure. And I'll, I'll get to Phoenix in a second, but I'm just looking at the uh, Utah article here. So uh, flourishing startup ecosystem, Utah's app boom. Uh, and again, this is motivated reasoning by in a sponsored article. So they're going to focus on apps because the U Utah Tech Labs, is that, is that what it was? Utah Tech Labs, yeah, that's what they do. So of course, they're going to emphasize that. So let's assume they're reasonably correct. So there's a number of app startups in Utah. The nice thing about a startup application company, if you and your three friends have an idea and the appropriate skill set, and by the way, not all of the four people I'm referring to need to be coders. You know, somebody has to tell the story, pitch, pitch the product, have the vision. So it's not just a matter of sitting at a coffee shop with a laptop or a co-work desk. But if you are able to take action on an idea, that's great. And if Utah is where that's happening, also great. I will point out that uh, Tony Shea, the late Tony Shea, uh, was thinking about Utah as his next adventure. Uh, I think it was in Provo, but he was looking at, you know, recreating what he attempted to accomplish in the downtown project, sort of version two. Uh, I say attempted because I'm sure, surely he was not done. Um, so, you know, downtown project is a noteworthy experiment still ongoing and that'll be a, that'll be another podcast entirely i've already mentioned the downtown project retrospective i think it's important to examine much more closely than people have what has happened what did happen what has happened what is happening and what might continue into the future so the so utah in this article has those things and uh i think the final one is this number five i don't know an environment years in the making and this is what i was getting to with uh silicon valley it's critical, in my opinion, that a place that will be an innovation hub, an innovation city, in this case, um, Utah has, a, across the state, has a variety of different uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem components. You, know, you can view the state as one system or your regional. That'd be like saying the entire state of Arizona is a desert, which is not true at all. So each, uh, each part of Arizona in the biological ecosystem has different climates and different uh, terrain, etc. So uh, there you go. So there's there are components in Utah that are beneficial, that are supportive of the development of an entrepreneurial ecosystem. In this case, aimed 
or leaning heavily towards apps. Very interesting. Not the entire world, ideally. There's more to life than apps. So the um, the other thing that the thing that I, would, I also want to emphasize is I get the I get their newsletter. Silicon Slopes is uh, very interesting because it is a statewide organization. So like I said, they have all these components around the state. They have different chapters. So they've built a 501c3 organization for the state that enables, and uh, I'll use that term loosely, but enables at least, at the very least, communication and awareness so that people outside of Utah or outside of these different chapters know what's happening in the other chapters and in Utah in general, right? So if I'm considering forming a startup, you know, obviously the, the emphasis is on this in this article, oh, come to Utah, we have all these things. They're probably not wrong. Uh, like I said, I've heard anecdotally, there is a lot of uh, foundation on which to build. The other thing about Utah, apparently, from what I understand, not a highly transient community. Uh, culture. So people tend to lay down some roots in Utah and stick around. That's what I'm hearing. That's also another thing to to learn about. Las Vegas, very transient. People do tend to come, stick around, leave. I've been here for 10 years. We'll see how that goes. But I think I've heard from more than one person that they usually don't want to work with or talk about working with people that are just new to town, right? Because mm, that person might be leaving. So it's it's not a bad theory. Arizona. Uh, the article I read there is from ASU, Arizona State University. Probably some more motivated reasoning. Uh, it's an interview with a business professor. He thinks AI is going to help Arizona lead a new digital revolution. Maybe. Can the Valley of the Sun become Silicon Valley 2.0? And, uh, the opening sentence is, is Arizona the new Silicon Valley? It certainly could be. And it's interesting to view an entire state as a new Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley was not the state of California, which is a, obviously a large place. But I would posit that it is intensely difficult to make the entire economy of a state uh, focus on one thing, to, to uh, perform a hard left towards the formation of another Silicon Valley. Now, in fairness... Uh, Nevada doesn't have chip fabs. Utah has the Texas Instrument one that I could find uh, in Lehigh, Lehigh, sorry. Uh, When I was in Phoenix in 2001 to 2005, and I was doing a little bit more of a deep dive because I assumed I was going to be there for a while, that was a tricky tricky time because people did not understand (laughs) salary. Uh, Salary history was a killer. one person actually laughed at me because I told them real numbers. And I said, well, that was Silicon Valley. Oh, you're not going to make that much here. I said, well, you asked me for my history, not requirements. So there was, there was a buffer period that where people were growing accustomed to being a player in this larger space. Uh, gentrification probably started to kick in around then. I moved back to Silicon Valley in 2005. Interesting times. But anyway, so the, um, the Arizona economy at the time, so 2001, 2000, between 2001 and 2005, when I was looking more intently at what I had gotten myself into, it turns out that the Valley was also looking at its uh, diversifying its economy. This was a long time ago, not now, so a, a different time. So looking back then, they said, well, our main economic drivers, aside from tourism, 
And you may not know this, Nevada is, of course, a destination place. Uh, Las Vegas, a destination city, probably in the top five, from what I understand, as far as recognized brands and so on. Conventions, entertainment, now we have professional sports, so uh, gaming, all that. Arizona has, and specifically central Arizona, Phoenix, Maricopa County, has had these three pillars. They were, and to some extent still are, uh, silicon manufacturer, fabrication, semiconductors, right? Semiconductors. There are actual chip fabs, and there still are. And in fact, there will be more, as TSMC has um, currently having a little bit of a kerfuffle with management and staff construction employees, but there will be a, a nice big TSMC fab in the Phoenix area somewhere. I mentioned working in the Chandler fab in uh, Chandler, Arizona, which is near Tempe. Tempe is where ASU is. So that part of the city, the metropolitan area, Tempe, Chandler, Mesa, Gilbert maybe, um, was already, uh, back in the day, it was Motorola, Intel, I think Honeywell was doing some chips there. Etc. So there was a semiconductor industry. There was what's called electronics assembly. So Hamilton, now that's Hamilton Hallmark, or is it Hamilton Hallmark, Hallmark then? Can't remember. Arrow, some others. So there was there were companies there building things with semiconductors and other discrete components. So electrical uh, electronics assembly. Uh, I actually interviewed at Arrow when I was living there. Didn't get the job. Uh, and then the third one was government contracts. So back in the day, the, the companies have, have merged and moved around. But Hughes, McDonnell Douglas, General Dynamics, uh, Goodyear, I think is still there. There's a city, Goodyear, Arizona. But uh, Goodyear, rubber products, right? So there's a lot of uh, government work going on, a lot of defense contracting and so on. So those were the big three. And I remember at the time, they, uh, with this diversification effort, the state, presumably the governor's office, probably the, their version of the GOED, Governor's Office of Economic Development, so the Arizona GOED, sent a delegation, as we are doing lately here in Nevada, sent a delegation around the world, and I found this funny at the time. They sent uh, executives and people of, you know, <laughs> with stake in the three pillars I mentioned, semiconductors, electronics assembly, and government contracts. They sent executives and other players from those spaces out on the road. And when they returned, I don't know if you're sitting down, but maybe you should. They determined that the future economic outlook of Arizona, certainly Central Phoenix area, would continue to benefit from focus on semiconductors, electronics assembly, and government contracts. I know, crazy. So suddenly, though, something happens, something, something crazy I think, I think I was still living there when the yeah I was it was uh, it was before I left but there was news breaking that translational genomics TGen was going to be breaking ground on a new facility in I think it was downtown Phoenix I think Genentech was also going to be building a facility somewhere somewhere around there and suddenly the wheels started turning and there was quite a quite a buzz that Arizona was going to turn into the wind and start launching into the, the exciting world of biotech and genetics and genomics and all that. And so at the time, I recall, this was sort of impressive. The, uh, the, the local community college infrastructure, Maricopa County Community College, 
for Central Arizona was uh, introducing programs to develop lab techs and other vocations in the biotech space, associate's degrees and so on. And in the university system, NAU, Northern Arizona University, U of A, University of Arizona, and Arizona State had existing biotech focus, right? NAU, uh, a relative of mine, got a pre-med degree there, focused on zoology. I actually did some work for a professor up there, up there, uh, in Northern Arizona University uh, in the bio-locomotion lab, right? So they were doing uh, analysis of gait. Mammals walking, running, trained and untrained, etc. So there was already some some bio. And the U of A has a medical school. Obviously, Arizona State is a substantial university. Lots of people. So there's already there were already some components there. So they said, let's build on our existing educational platform and add focus on genetics and, and related technologies. And so they did. So the state turned into this. Uh, this was almost exactly when they broke ground on these facilities. So they said, we want to have a workforce, a talent pool. Remember education, talent pool. We want to have those people in place when the buildings are done so that we can actually engage this part of our economy. So they did. So, and clearly, so I have more to say about Arizona because I lived there, lived there, and this was an interesting time. So TGen, Genentech. Genentech, I don't know if there is stronger presence in Arizona. I think I have some college friends and colleagues that work for Genentech more in California. But the fact is the state of Arizona adopted biotech and genetics in general, uh, biotech in general, genetics specifically as a result of this big move. And rather than talking about it and, and uh, posting headlines about how they were already the next Silicon Valley, they did something about it. And so today, uh, let's call it 20 years later, Right. So this was, like I said, 2000, I'll say it was 2003 to make it easy. So 2003, Hey, we're going to break ground on uh, TGen. Let's add some educational facilities and build on our existing platform. So we have a workforce, a talent pool 20 years later, you know, biotech is a part of the Arizona economy, uh, because they decided 20 years ago to do that. So Utah, according to the something I read possibly in that article and elsewhere, uh, in the sixties, started developing their tech infrastructure and culture. Arizona had a tech uh, industry and culture. Like I said, uh, semiconductors in Phoenix were a thing. Uh, growing up, it was Motorola, I had you know, friends, parents, when I was in high school, friends, parents worked at Motorola. Friends, parents worked at Intel. Uh, Honeywell, my dad worked at Honeywell. That's how we moved to Phoenix, right? So all kinds of um, industry in the tech space in Phoenix. So you may not have thought about Phoenix as a big tech hub, but there it was. And Arizona is a, is a big player in that, the engineering school. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear my Amazon product talking to us. So yeah, Arizona State University was already uh, a, a good starting point for building the, the uh, technical economy of the Phoenix area. And NAU, like I said, NAU, U of A already had a bio capability, biology and medical. So good. Good, good stuff. So Arizona has been doing this for a while. They've had time to build on their existing culture, their existing infrastructure. They added a new component, diversified their economy. It's still a tourism-heavy place. People go and uh, visit in the winters because the winters are very mild there. They can go and do some shopping, a lot of shopping to do in Phoenix. 
Uh, Phoenix has a food scene. They, they updated the downtown area to be more friendly to visitors. When I was in uh, fourth grade, I think it was, uh, so around 10 years old, my family owned a restaurant downtown. It was a little bit less appealing. So over time, the Arizona Center, I think, is around. I don't know if it's still, I assume it is. The airport is very nice. Uh, it's very easy to fly in and out of. Las Vegas has that as well. Um, yeah, so so Phoenix has, has come a long way in the last 20 years. And uh, interesting times. Can they be Silicon Valley 2.0? Well, the Silicon part, sure. They're they're building more fabs today. So they can they could legitimately call themselves a Silicon Valley if they want. It's already the Valley of the Sun. Does Silicon Valley automatically make it the next uh, great unicorn factory? No, but they're they're way ahead in the game, as is Utah. And remember, Silicon Valley proper in Silicon Valley Bay Area started in the f- late 40s. So they've had a long runway to take off. Not a, not a great analogy. They've had a lot of time, though, to develop a culture of innovation. When they imported talent, it was because there was so much innovation, there weren't enough people there. So you had very fine schools like Stanford, UC Berkeley, uh, San Jose State, Santa Clara University, um, Santa Cruz, um, UC Santa Cruz, etc. right? There are plenty of um, starting points for people entering into various fields, whether it was hardware, software related. Uh, so the, the education, talent pool infrastructure was there. It just wasn't enough. You cannot just sprinkle money on a city and start turning out more students. So they, uh, talent import, the H1B visa became popular, uh, if it wasn't already. So there, the importing of talent was a necessity I would question that about Vegas. That's an entirely different component of this is how to augment the talent pool if they're not uh, here and learning in the educational infrastructure, right? So let me get back to my notes. Uh, so, and, and also Tempe Chandler area right around ASU. I cannot speak to Northern, so Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona gets some snow. Utah has snow. Uh, Nevada has snow every once in a while. <laughs> so NAU though is a, is a snow school, right? There is some snow going on. Makes it tricky, maybe less appealing. U of A, it's very hot down there in Tucson. Uh, Tucson is not in the central Arizona project uh, irrigation and canal system, so they have water days and whatnot. So similar to Nevada in that regard. Uh, So water resources and weather conditions in central Arizona, probably more conducive to the general conduct conduction of business. <laughs> and so companies have moved there. I know there's a Google and Apple have facilities there, if I recall correctly. So it's a tourist tourism destination that has augmented its uh, place on the technology stage, building on the existing semiconductors, adding on the tradition, now traditional software components, software companies and efforts and facilities and bolstered no doubt by the presence of biotech and all of the software and apps and technology that goes into that. So good for you, Arizona. So what about Southern Nevada? Uh, we are still an entertainment destination city, entertainment, gaming, uh, growing professional sports focus, conventions, and then uh, and events, concerts, and, and uh, car races, and then uh, electric daisy carnival and so on, and just tourism in general. So this is our number one focus. There's just no question. As a as a component of the economy, I don't know that it's substantially larger, but it, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a pie chart, you're gonna see the slice of those things. 
Uh, are you seeing the slice of the ecosystem developing startups here? Maybe. Maybe that's a thin slice that uh, that mom always takes at the end. Oh, I just want a little half a slice, right? <laughs> but what you end up with is, uh, when I in my travels, when I was working for Intel, when I said I lived in Las Vegas, not one single person anywhere in the world, and I talked to almost all of them, not really, not one single person asked me about the tech industry in Las Vegas. Not one. They wanted to know about the strip, about the lights, the gambling, the partying. Right. If I said I was here from Silicon Valley, they would ask about what's the job market like, uh, startups, what other companies did you work for? So the outside culture, when people look in from outside, they're thinking about Las Vegas destination. They're probably thinking about parts of Las Vegas that are not in Las Vegas proper. So Vegas, Greater Vegas, Southern Nevada, Clark County. Uh, are we building our entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem? Maybe. Uh, I would posit that that takes a cultural revolution at this point that will take a while. And it's in its infancy, to infancy today. I believe that in another, I've been here for 10 years, like I said, I've seen some positive growth not enough. I don't think 10 years of uh, looking in the general direction of an entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem has been uh, completely productive. And again, the pandemic did not help, but uh, we didn't start. I think when did uh, Vegas, um, when the gambling casinos and all that started in the 30s, I think. Not, they didn't start building chip fabs in the, you know, they didn't have a Nobel prize winning physicist move into town and start, but they, well, they, we had physicists here. They were doing nuclear weapons testing. That's a different thing. Uh, and that's probably something to lean into, by the way, if we're going to do innovation with nuclear medicine, with fusion research for clean reactors, right? Maybe some thorium re reactors, right? Then maybe there should be more focus on what we do have here, a culture of physics, uh, and, and nuclear energy, nuclear technologies in general, nuclear medicine is a possibility. UNLV medical school facilities are coming on. But these things are happening now and not 20 years ago, not 40, not 60 years ago, now. So like I said, in the last 10 years, some things have started to move, possible. Uh, water constraints in Southern Nevada make a chip fab, an actual silicon anything here unlikely. And uh, when I say unlikely, it's essentially impossible. So we're not Silicon Valley 3.0, 2.0, 1.1. We're just not. Uh, so I would say the innovation culture is lacking though, again, because we just haven't been at it very long. Uh, one might just look at headlines. I'm not going to pull them up right now because they're always depressing. <laughs> News headlines here tend to focus on crime, uh, people getting kidnapped, assaulted, injured, theft, uh, other injuries, right? Uh, catalytic converters, cars, homes, things just tend to be broken into or taken. I don't know if anybody's stolen a home. It could happen though. Uh, the headlines also cover things like the Oakland A's becoming, are they going to be the Las Vegas A's? Who knows? The athletics, uh, tearing down the Tropicana to build a stadium. The sphere, will it be solar powered? Uh, oh no, free parking is going away. That's always a headline in Las Vegas. So no one is stressing over access to capital on the headlines. No one is stressing over talent pool. No one is taking serious looks at infrastructure 
as they relate to this Silicon Valley awakening. Uh, you cannot simply label an innovation hub as such, and suddenly it is an innovation hub. So I continue to posit that we are missing, we're deficient in the, and this is not a dig on the students, but the focus on education and the development of our talent pool, which I, it sounds like I'm being dismissive, but no, 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 they are critical. <laughs> so people who are not only able, but willing to participate in an entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, entrepreneurial innovation ecosystem, they have to come from somewhere. And if we today presume that the talent pool will be imported and you hear this messaging, right? Move your startup to Nevada, move your company to Nevada. There are headlines often celebrated thousands of companies. I hope that's one person companies, but thousands of businesses and companies are moving from California to Nevada, especially Las Vegas. And so is that a good thing? Uh, if we look at Utah and Arizona, certainly people are moving into those cities. Cost of living in Arizona has been going up uh, a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure about Utah, Nevada. The, the real estate always goes up and down. It's all a bit cyclic, 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 your choice. So whether we're seeing a volume of people coming here in the tech sector, uh, there's always, I believe, the presumption that if people are moving to Las Vegas from California, they are clearly moving here from Silicon Valley to start unicorn companies and become wealthy and contribute to our economy. And I don't know that that's true. Those numbers are often opaque, but celebrated. So the innovation culture will take time. So we look at Phoenix, like I said, 2003-ish. They said, we are going to make biotech and genetics a real thing here, a first-class citizen in our economy. They turn on all the, sw the switches, they flip them all to on, and 20 years later, I don't know when it actually became a, a substantial component of the economy, but today, 20 years later, you know, genetics, biotech, there, there are medical centers, the Mayo Clinic is there, the, the various other well-known treatment centers, <clears throat> the weather being what it is, people can come there, stay for a while, undergo treatment, partake in uh, medical services and so on. So this is a long time in the, in the making, long time coming. Same with Utah, same with Silicon Valley in the Bay Area, California. If you look at other places like Austin, uh, Research Triangle in, in uh, North Carolina, parts of New York, you have UT Austin and other educational resources. You have Duke and UNC around North Carolina and others. You have Cornell and NYU and proximity to places like Cambridge, Princeton. <laughs> so you got you got your MIT and Harvard folks and Princeton and um, probably some Yale people on top of New York's already existing infrastructure. So that whole part of the country is, uh, is lousy with smart people, as we could say. And so again, and that's where Professor Turnin moved from that region to Stanford and kind of bootstrapped that. So education is a non-trivial component and if you look at the places where things are happening, and in that article I mentioned for, for the KSL uh, website, link in the show notes, they do point out that the education since the 60s and the development of the ecosystem in Utah, non-trivial. So same thing. When I moved to Las Vegas 10 years ago, there just coincidentally happened to be an article, probably in US News and World Report, but I've been unable to locate it. But it pointed out that Silicon Valley was powered by education and 
not sure to this day how this happened, but it was Berkeley, Stanford, and Harvey Mudd College, where I graduated from, Harvey Mudd, in Southern California. So that was called out as one of the three um, pipelines of education into the Silicon Valley success story. And I'm not kidding, when I was here and somebody would ask me, uh, wait, did you, you said you went to Harvey Mudd, right? Yeah. So you work for Intel, you went to Harvey Mudd, you moved here from Silicon Valley to Las Vegas, and they were very curious about that. Why? I might ask the same question, but uh, it was a house fire in Silicon Valley, decided to do something new, here I am. I am not gentrifying Las Vegas. It's something to think about, though. And if we look at importing talent companies, that is a very real possibility. Whereas if we organically grow our ecosystem as these other places have, the, the Utah and Arizona examples here and the other places in Texas and North Carolina and New York, other parts of the world. If you ever want to see an entrepreneurial city, go to Dublin, go to Dubai. Uh, that's not a city so much, but it's a little bit bigger. But, uh, <laughs> and there's more. There are other places that are, that are seeing these sorts of focus growth that take all of the components and build on them rather than sprinkling money on the top and hoping for the best. So it takes more than headlines. That's my position. You'll hear about this more and more from me. And I really would love to have, if you are listening to this and you got this far, congratulations. And I would really like to hear from you if you are part of the Arizona ecosystem, if you're part of the Utah ecosystem, Austin, like I said, so Texas, North Carolina. If you have something to say about, and I'll include Iowa and Ohio, shout out to Mo Collins and Della Rucker. So there are places where this can happen and it takes uh, focus and time uh, and culture. Culture is a critical component. And uh, so let's see where a Las Vegas culture is in another 10 years. Fingers crossed. On that note, thank you for listening. Uh, I'll say again the, the links to the articles I referred to here. There's only two. This is just the seed. They're in the show notes. Uh, if you are listening to this on a website, uh, I'm sorry, from a platform that doesn't show the show notes, that's annoying. Um, I will endeavor to fix that. The cafegenius.org, that's a cafe with two Fs, cafegenius.org website is due for a massive overhaul as part of some social media platform work that we're doing with the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, uh, getting the word out and communicating with podcasts and video programs, content, the C word, not that C word, the other content, content, content is, uh, is becoming a generic term, but being able to find things, listen to podcasts, view video talk shows and, and uh, you know, video podcasts, if you will, reading words that are useful and interesting and not merely headlines. All these things are part of an ongoing effort we have here. So yeah, the Cafe Genius website needs some work. But in the meantime, um, why don't you just uh, come on the show? We'll talk about these <laughs> and we'll go from there. Uh, Thank you so much for listening again. And um, yeah, come on the show, listen, talk, whatever you want to do. And uh, let's give it 10, 10 more years. We'll see where, you, where Las Vegas is. Unless you think it's something different, tell me. Bye-bye.